The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Concession Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine time. Yourself? Doing well, Father. Thanks Good. for being here. Good to see you. Yep. Father, uh, with everything going on in, in the world today, with uh, especially the, the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic that is currently sweeping the world, there's been a lot of talk recently concerning um, our, our, ladies, our Lady of Fatima and her message mm -hmm. there, and in particular the, uh, the third secret that she gave to, to Lucia. And uh, th there's, there's been some, some talk, I've seen some uh, traditional-minded Catholics uh, speaking of, of this third secret and how they say that now would be a good time to, to see the actual real contents of that secret. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's been some talk of, of the consecration to Russia that, that Our Lady requested at, at Fatima and whether or not that has actually, in fact, been done, uh, if that could possibly be done now, if that would help resolve the crisis that we are currently in. Uh, Father, what, what are your thoughts on, on all of this with the uh, Our Lady's message of Fatima? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, back about the year 2000, there was uh, uh, a release of the third secret, uh, what was alleged to be the third secret, and then it was immediately disputed that it could not possibly be the third secret, or at least not the fullness of the third secret. And I think it's generally accepted, uh, well, certainly among traditional Catholics, that uh, what was released was not the third secret of Fatima, not, okay. it's, not its entirety anyway. Okay. And uh, which raises all kinds of questions as to why uh, part of the secret was withheld. Um, but uh, remember back in 1960, the, uh, well by 1960, that third secret was supposed to have been revealed in any case. Uh, so a full generation before the year 2000, uh, the third secret was supposed to have been made known by, in that case, it would have been John the twenty-third, right? And um, but John the twenty-third was preparing to call his second Vatican Council, and um, we can surmise that the true third secret of Fatima uh, was in direct opposition to the idea of calling the second Vatican Council and all that the second Vatican Council would stand for. And that John the Twenty-Third chose between the two of them, and chose to bury the third secret and proceed with his plans for the uh, the Council of Vatican II. Um, but uh, also with regard to the, uh, by the way, with regard to the third secret, I think it's generally accepted that it had to do with what came upon the Church, mm -hmm. uh, the modernism, the invasion of modernism that was forecast already by. St. Pius X in 1907, and in the years following, and uh, that the Church would be laid waste, as St. Pius X said back then to one of the cardinals, laid waste by the modernists. Um, so uh, I think people generally have the idea that this is what the Third Secret really is, is about. With regard to the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that's a very interesting question, and it's still uh, is somewhat disputed among Catholic people. I'm talking about real traditional Catholic people. Because um, Our Lady said at Fatima, it's related by Lucia, that Our Lady said at Fatima that the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart, but it will be late. Okay? And what Our Lady said to Lucia at Fatima, by all of Lucy's own accounts, mm -hmm is that our Blessed Mother asked her to, uh, told her that the Holy Father must consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart, okay? Now, it was only in 1929, uh, later, that uh, the directions uh, came from Lucia to Papias XI, now is the time to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart. You must consecrate Russia together with all of the bishops of the world. Okay, that was a condition to consecrate it in union with all the bishops of the world 
had not been mentioned before in any of the Fatima literature that I've ever seen. And so there was a condition that was added to the consecration uh, of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary that would be done not only by the pontiff, Pope Pius XI, uh, whom actually uh, the Blessed Mother had mentioned at Fatima in 1917, but did not mention the consecration being done with all the bishops of the world. And uh, if one were to ask you, well, uh, was, did a pope consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary? <clears throat> As Our Lady said, a pope would, but it would be late. And the answer to that question is absolutely yes, definitely yes, okay? In the Apostolic Letter of uh, July 7, 1952, uh, Pope Pius XII specifically addressed all of the peoples of Russia, and he consecrated Russia and all of them to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and a very special act directed to Russia, he, and it's 1952. He right? did that explicitly by name? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, he did. And it's in the Octopostolatia Sedis. It's an official publication, official act of the Holy See. Okay? <clears throat> but if one were to ask, well, did any of the popes consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in union with all the bishops of the world? The answer is no, absolutely not. That was never done. Uh, now, one might ask, well, why did Our Lady add that condition? <coughs> That's a very good question, and of course there are all kinds of theories as to why Our Lady would say in 1917, at Fatima itself, <clears throat> the Holy Fathers must consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart. And then in 1929, she would say, the Holy Father, together with all the bishops of the world, in union with all the bishops of the world, must consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart. <clears throat> why would Our Lady add that condition? Well, we can only speculate. Our Lady didn't give an answer to that, wasn't asked that question, I, I assume. Uh, Lucia doesn't mention uh, asking the question, receiving an answer to it, but <coughs> but there are some intriguing, possible, even likely answers. One is, of course, the rise of Nazism, the rise of fascism, the <coughs> rise of atheistic communism, and um, <coughs> all of these totalitarian um, tyrannies, right, were, were on the rise, these godless, uh, anti-god tyrannies. And uh, so including all the bishops in the world would show the unity of the church. Uh, but it is very possible also that it would have shown something else, something that would have been a, a real warning to the Catholic people. <clears throat> if Papias the Eleventh did not heed that call to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart and do so in union with all the bishops in the world, there was something that was preventing him from doing so. Um, remember, Pope Pius XI was that valiant soul who, as an archbishop in Krakow, stood with the Poles against the invading Bolsheviks in 1920. <clears throat> and that took a great deal of courage. And uh, to lead the Eucharistic processions through the streets of Warsaw, day by day by day, uh, before the Bolshevik invasion, uh, that took an enormous amount of faith and uh, hope and charity to stand with those people. He was the only one who did. He was the only one who did. He had to ask special permission <clears throat> in order to be allowed to stay with the people. He was the Apostolic Nuncio to Poland at the, at the time. And he did not evacuate with the rest of the diplomats. So Papaisi XI was not a, um, <clears throat> a coward. Yeah. He was something of a man of action. Could he be deceived? Yes, he was deceived uh, by the Marxists in, in Mexico <clears throat> to convince the Cristeros to lay down their arms, uh, that the Callas and his gang of Marxist revolutionaries in Mexico really were honorable men who would keep their word. They didn't. They uh, executed the Cristeros when they tried to return to their homes. <clears throat> Pius Twelfth was advised to uh, tell the Cristeros to lay down their arms by Antonelli, his Secretary of State. And I understand, well, the, the story is that he wept openly when he discovered what had happened, that he was betrayed. So Pius XI could make uh, practical errors that were very costly, as he would be the first to admit, certainly. But he was not a coward. And if Our Lady had said, you must consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, in union with all the bishops of the world, I can't help but think that this same Pope 
who later would write the encyclical Mit Brandenburg Sorge against the uh, uh, commun- the uh, Nazis, right? And David uh, Redemptoris uh, against the atheistic Bolsheviks in Russia, and do so, issue both encyclicals within a week's time, that this man was not a coward. Why did he not make this consecration? I can't help but think it's because there was too much opposition among the bishops. And he couldn't rally them to do so, that there was opposition. Now that same opposition was to beset Pius Twelfth after him. Uh, there was fierce opposition within the Vatican, resisting the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, especially including the bishops. And there were bishops who were the ones who were opposing it. You know what, you know, Tom, think about that for a minute. Okay, what would have happened if Papias Pius XI, if that, was the, if that was the issue, okay, if Papias Pius XI was held back by a fear that calling for the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary be done very publicly and unanimously, him and all the bishops of the world, but he held off doing so because of the divisiveness in the bishops, the modernists. The modernists were already there, and they were already opposing this. What would that have shown? What would that have demonstrated? If Papias XI had said, well, whoever the bishops are who will stand with me, fine. We're going to go ahead. You bishops, if you wanted to call them modernists, fine who will not stand with me and consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, fine. Let's every, let everyone see who's on what side here, okay? Let's show the world who's on the so- what side. What do you think would have happened as a result of that? I don't know. It's interesting to think about it. If, if the very thing that held him back was the very reason that Our Lady wanted him to do it, and insisted that it be done with all the bishops of the world to show, to show the modernists in the, in the hierarchy, to show the Catholic people, especially, the division in the ranks of the bishops. That could have been a very, very powerful moment when the Catholic people back in 1930 <coughs> would have seen, my goodness, look what's happening here. Pope Pius the, the 10th warned us about this, and now look, we have all of these enemy bishops here, the enemies of our Blessed Mother, who refuse to stand with the Holy Father and consecrate Russia to her, the, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. That would have been a very, very serious wake-up call for the Catholic people. And furthermore, for many of the, the faithful bishops back then, <clears throat> mm-hmm. to realize and to see the traitors, the Judases, in their, in their very ranks, the Episcopal ranks there. And maybe it, the, precisely the thing that Pope Pius the if it is, in fact, the thing that Pope Pius XI was avoiding, making manifest that division, perhaps Our Lady was demanding that this be made known, that this be made manifest at that time. Can you imagine if that had happened that way, how that would have changed the course of history? I mean, not only in terms of um, stifling the growth of uh, national socialism in, in, uh, in, in Germany, uh, world socialism in Russia, fascism, basically another tyranny in, uh, in Italy, and spiritually strangling those, right, right in, the, in their infancy. But putting the Catholic people on warning here that there are many bishops who are enemies of Christ, and you need to be aware of that. But Pope Pius X warned you about in 1907 is in fact happening before your very eyes, and I will make it clear, and I will show you exactly what's happening. How could a John the Twenty-Third have ever been possible? He was supposed to have revealed the third secret in 1960. If he had done so, again, I mean, the course of the world's history would have been very different. Mm-hmm. Certainly the course of the church's history would have been very different, and therefore the course of the world's history also would have been affected I don't know. I don't know if what it was that kept Pius XI from making that act of consecration with all the bishops in the world. It's all speculation. I don't know that anything has ever been written about it that is based upon evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or what I would consider evidence, a statement by Pope Pius XI explaining why it wasn't done. I, I don't know. But it wasn't done. It's a fact. And uh, I don't think it was because Pope Pius XI was intimidated into silence, except perhaps by the f fact that he feared that he was not able to, to get the bishops uh, united behind him in this, and he was afraid of making manifest uh, what he would have considered very scandalous, mm -hmm. but which our Blessed Mother perhaps <clears throat> saw as something even worse than that. Mm -hmm. uh, a fifth column in the church uh, that was out to, well, as St. Pius X said, try to destroy the church, you know, mm -hmm. that, that she wanted it at that moment made manifest and revealed to all. Father, but, but obviously our, our Blessed Mother knew what, what was going to happen. She Certainly. knew that, that this uh, that this consecration that she requested would not be done. She knew that the, the third secret would not be fully revealed. So why why would why would she give us this this secret uh, if it's going to remain a secret if we're not going to see it? Do you think at some point in the future we will somehow see the full text of the secret? Yes, in the course of time it will be made clear what took place. Okay. And there will be graces given then. Uh, there were graces, obviously, graces being given about Pius XI. Uh, Our Lady would not make, uh, convey from heaven a command like that without God providing the graces necessary to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. But uh, that doesn't take away our free will. And uh, in the course of time, all of this will be revealed. And those, from the vantage point of history then, and the graces that God gives them, they will be better for it. They'll understand more perfectly. Um, and it, it will cause them to praise and love God and adore Him more, more wholeheartedly and love Him more. So ultimately, it's going to work out to uh, more souls being saved and uh, souls uh, loving God more than would have happened otherwise. God does not permit evils, but for the fact that He, by grace, can produce greater goods. We know that. Mm -hmm. And do you anticipate this happening anytime soon? I mean, like, like I said, we're, we're certainly in, in a uh, rather serious <clears throat> crisis right now. That, that's, that's Depends on what you mean by soon. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I, don't, I anticipate it happening before the end of the world. <laughs> okay. I anticipate it happening when uh, God sees that his faithful need to know this. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that we need to know right now? Um, evidently not. Okay. Evidently not, because if we did, God would make it known mm -hmm. in his own inevitable way. Um, so right now, I think God just wants us to hold on and be faithful with what we do know. I mean, after all, Tim, let's face it. You know, there are people who say, oh, if only this, if only that, I'd, I'd be so faithful. I, I would do God's will. If I only knew God's will, I would do it. And then you ask him, well, wait a minute. We already know God's will in many, many ways, and we're not doing that. So, I mean, why do you say, if I only knew God's will, I would certainly do it when, you know, you still go to confession, you tick off all the things that you know are God's will that you're not doing, and things that are God's will that you uh, are against God's will that you are doing. So that's where we have to clean up our act, so to speak, and be faithful in the things that we, that we must be, notably, um, you know, the greater commandments that involve mortal sin. We have to start there and uh, go through the purgative way, right? And turn away from sin and live our lives in the state of sanctifying grace. That's, a, that's not only a good start, that's the only start for those who really want to do God's will. Mm -hmm. And there, there's, a, uh, there's a distinction between God's signified will and his, uh, his will of, of good, good pleasure where we have to you know, start with his, his signified will and do the things that he um, has clearly, you know, explicitly laid out for us before yeah. we can uh, move on to... Well, the Ten Commandments uh, are a good place to start. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Beatitudes are uh, a good place to start. Sure. Well, then uh, we can expect that God will uh, show us what else He wants of us mm -hmm. in the more particular ways. Father, in, in our last program, we we covered the uh, the topic of uh, church militant in a recent video that they put out uh, condemning the SSPX. Mm -hmm. Um, for, for some of their roles and some uh, purported abuse cover-up scandals. And yeah. we received uh, a decent amount of feedback from that program. Most of it was, was positive. Many of our viewers thank you for your, uh, for your insight on that and for your, uh, 
for your response to that to that video. Um, there was some some negative uh, feedback, Father, that I would like to kind of get get your your response on. And um, one of these uh, one of the emails from our, our faithful viewers, he uh, he had a rather critical email, Father, where he he said that. Um, I guess I can I can read a few lines of this. He said that uh, that video was an astonishingly poor showcase of Catholicism and prudence, but it was a high example of pontificating without any relevant and 100% verified details. Uh, he asks, uh, what you know about each man accused in each case, and if it is even a case at all, or did you simply presume? I said you opted for too many presumptions only to continue the episode for which you had no researched material. So, Father, I, you, you've read through uh, this email that uh, our, mm-hmm. our faithful viewers sent, and I'd like to get your response to this. How do you reply to that that claim that uh, you just kind of made a lot of generalizations, you didn't have a lot of facts about these cases, and yet you felt qualified to respond? How, how do you mm-hmm. reply to that accusation? Well, I didn't pretend to have a lot of facts. In fact, I wasn't actually responding, actually. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what program the gentleman watched here, but it doesn't sound like the program that you and I did. Um, because what I recall of the program is mentioning that, um, <clears throat> in fact, I, I don't know about all the cases, right? But people were asking. People, yes. people were asking for something, right? Yes. And I just responded, well, I don't know all the cases. Um, I was with the Society of St. Pius V for the first five years of my priesthood. It's by Pius X. Pa- <laughs> Sorry, Society of St. Pius X yes. uh, for the first five years of my priesthood. And I know of some cases, uh, personally, a handful of cases where there were problems. And I, I said, actually, if anything, I, I, I said this by way of kind of... Uh, um, uh, defending, actually, the Society of St. Pius X in, in the way that I mentioned, but uh, the people who do such things as these clerics were accused, you know, whether it's abusing children or, uh, or um, uh, women or, uh, or even men, right? Mm-hmm. As in epiphobilia or uh, pedophilia. I said people who do these things gravitate toward <coughs> these seminaries. We've seen that in the modern seminaries. They gravitate to them, and uh, especially the homosexuals. We saw that in the modern seminaries. They gravitated toward the seminaries, and it's not a mystery why. You know, they find this to be a rich field of, of endeavor for them and, and, and give them a, a plenty of opportunity to um, indulge in their vices, you know. And uh, I mentioned that those who are not like them uh, don't think like them and don't understand how they think. But there are those who have told me, and some of them, uh, even homosexuals, that they they are constantly, constantly thinking of these things. That this is their uh, this is their entire life. This is what matters to them above all. It permeates their thinking, and uh, that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, because we see how homosexuals insist that it. It identifies them. It's their identity. Their, their being homosexuals is their identity. And they identify themselves as a community because of it. It's what unites them as a community, their common homosexuality. That's how deeply it goes. That's how deep it goes in them. And um, as some of the saints said, they, they just burn with this passion of lust that is insatiable. Uh, it's... It, it's it's uh, for those who realize it's it's wrong and resist it. I mean, you realize that they can become great saints because it takes such grace and cooperation with grace to resist those temptations and to say no to all of that because it is not God's will because it offends God. Um, but for those who just give free rein to it, indulge in it, and revel in it, I mean, it just takes over their lives. Right. And they will do very risky things and will abuse and, and uh, you know, attack uh, children, uh, young adults. I mean, uh, the, the, their idea is to recruit them and to bring them into that community, as they, as they call it. So it is understandable, you know, and I, I'm not, I didn't fault the Society of St. Pius X. If they have people who entered their seminaries and gone through their seminaries who are like that. I didn't fault them for that. The only question that I would have is, well, how did their leadership handle it? 
when it was made known to them. Uh, that was the question, and I, I, the only thing I commented about that that I recall was, I mean, Church Militant, by the way, I also pointed this out in the video, that Church Militant has a kind of uh, uh, a grudge, I don't know if grudge was the right word, but they have this kind of uh, venom, venom directed to the Society of St. Pius X. They, all, they have from day one, it seems. And so, you know, it's, it's clear that this attack on the Society of St. Pius X was motivated not so much by some kind of uh, crusading zeal for, you know, the integrity of the faith and the good of souls, but by an animus against them. That's, at least it seems that way to me. So um, I don't know where this writer is really coming from, or why, why he's, he's, he seems to be trying to interpret what I meant to say instead of what I actually said. Mm -hmm. But um, I said, you know, Church Militant is accusing the SSPX of having a holier-than-thou holier attitude. But I said, well, the Church Militant has the same attitude, <laughs> that we're holier than you because uh, we're recognized by Francis and you're not. You know, so you see, you're schismatic and we're not. So this is the pot calling the kettle black. You know? So, uh, I mean, I, I also said that. But I, I don't know that any of that registered with this writer. Mm -hmm. And you did show me that because I asked to see it. And uh, I was quite mystified by it. <laughs> but um, again, the, the question comes down to when these things do happen, and I say not if, but when they do happen <clears throat> in the modern seminaries, um, what does the leadership do? Well, we saw that in the Novus Ordo seminaries. We saw what the leadership did. They basically gave free reign to the homosexuals uh, to dominate the, the, the seminaries, right? And the clergy would be clergy within them. But uh, in the traditional seminaries, in the Society of St. Pius X seminary, for example, what did the leadership do? Within the ranks of the Society of St. Pius X organization, what did the leadership do? That's what's called into question here. How was this treated? I can't speak to that necessarily. As I said, I don't know the individual cases. But, um, you know, you, you, you don't um, just start out by saying, okay, well, all of these things, carte blanche, are true until they can be proven false. It doesn't work that way, uh, neither in the church nor in the, in the United States of America, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, one will see how these things uh, develop in terms of investigation and how they're handled. And I'm not qualified to do that. I, I think I made that quite clear. Mm -hmm. I think. Anyway, if someone wants to go back and show me that I said something contrary to what I'm saying now, I'd be int very interested in seeing and knowing that. Mm -hmm. But I was trying reviewing in my mind what we said the other night in light of the accusations that are being made there. And I thought, well, what occurred to me is he's doing to me what he said I did, <laughs> making these general sweeping statements uh, mm -hmm. Um, which um, I, I don't believe I did. Mm -hmm. Father, counter, I, I mean, do you, you read that. Right. You were the interviewer. You were here yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, do you, what do you see in that? No, I, I think you made, I think we, we began, if I remember correctly, I think you, you began your response by, by stating the difference between rash suspicion and, and rash judgment. And, no, and that's all true. This. And, mm -hmm. and I, I thought that was, that was very clear, but. I don't. I think the whole point of the church militant video was was to single in on all of these individual uh, mm -hmm. cases, and I think we had quite the opposite approach. Where I don't. I don't believe that we discussed a single uh, individual no. case. We just kind of, um, you know, talked about this mm -hmm. in general, and you know, mm -hmm. if this happened, how did they handle it? Um, mm -hmm. Things like that. So yeah, I, I definitely. I said I was aware of some cases when right. I was with when, when you were actually the there. Yeah. I didn't even comment how the leadership handled right. it then. You know. Right. As I recall, I did make one point though, and uh, maybe, maybe this is what uh, you know, <laughs> drew all that reaction. I mentioned that, well, remember we had the one writer who said, well, could we trust the society now to tell us what they're doing with Rome? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I said, well, actually, I look at it from the other point of view. And I said, I'm concerned about the society's dealings with the Vatican with modernist Rome right now, and how they seem to be so able to overlook so many bad things in carrying those on, that that does make me wonder internally, you know, what they might be also inclined to overlook. Yeah. I think that's the only statement I made that 
yeah. expressed concern on my behalf. Um, and that's it's true. It, it does make me concerned because I, I do see the society, um, for some reasons, involved in the do si doing with Rome and, and the square dance with the, the modernists. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't see how they can minimize or, or turn a blind eye, blind eye to so many evils emanating from uh, the modernists in Rome, notably Francis. Um, and, and, you know, I, I wonder if that doesn't carry over otherwise. That's all. You know, mm -hmm. It was just a concern I have. Yeah. Well, Father, speaking of the, the SSPX, we had another um, viewer who, another kind of another very faithful viewer who, who wrote in and, and tried to make an analogy of um, how you are dealing with the, uh, the, the COVID-19 crisis in our, in our church here in particular. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they tried to make this comparison between your actions and uh, what the Society of St. Pius X has done, where mm -hmm. here at Immaculate Conception, you have, um, I mean, as much as, as humanly possible, followed, followed the, the orders that, uh, that we've uh, received from the governor, all of the, the recommendations of the health department and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, I think to a very great, great extent. And, um, uh, this viewer says, is this not similar to what the SSPX is doing, where these are kind of, uh, you know, questionable orders. You yourself even said, you know, we need to uh, we need to kind of start the process of opening up the, the, the country again and kind of, you know, not not be so so scared of all of this, essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, so is this not what the SSPX is doing, kind of following these SSPX questions? SSPX is doing with regard kind of, to... With, with regard to with regard to Francis and... Oh, with and regard to the Vatican. Modernist realm in the Vatican, mm -hmm. of kind of following these, these questionable <clears throat> this questionable authority that they see in the Vatican, kind of following this just because that would be uh, better safe than sorry, perhaps. So the idea is that uh, what the Society of St. Pius X is doing with the Vatican and kind of... Going along, yeah. get along to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. It would be paralleled by my approach with the authorities in Ohio, the governor, and so on, yes. in adopting some of these measures against the virus, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I don't see it. I, I, I quite the contrary. Um, interesting question, though. <laughs> but, um, I mean, we're dealing with things that are actually against the faith. We're dealing with atrocities that are blasphemies and sacrileges in the Novus Ordo, right? That are modernism, that are part and parcel to modernism. And we're saying that we shouldn't be going along with those and we should be denouncing these for what they are. Now, perhaps the writer of this email is saying, well, <clears throat> this virus is a complete sham. Yes. Yes. That's, that's exactly what okay. you're saying. Yes. <laughs> it's a complete sham. There's nothing to this. It's a total fraud. And here you are going along with this, um, whatever, this, this sham and this fraud by following the government directives. Okay. Yes. Well, um, first of all, the washing of the hand, your hands and using hand sanitizer and so on. I mean, these are things that are not sacrilegious or blasphemous. Okay. Uh, so that there is a, something of a difference here in like the order of being <laughs> here, but, uh, but also the, my purpose in going along with this, even if, if I got up at the pulpit and said, look, this is a total sham and a total fraud. There is no virus out there. There is no COVID-19. They made all this up. Okay. <clears throat> I would still tell, tell the people, but I want you still to be able to come and attend mass here. And there are people who could prevent you from coming. And they could force us to close our doors legally. They could actually put a cordon of, uh, of armed police around the place. Even if they didn't lock the church, they would, could prevent you from coming into, into our property to come to mass. They could prevent this. And I don't want them to do this. So I'm saying that it, it will comply in everything that is not sinful for the sake of you having the ability to come and attend the Holy, the Holy Mass. And when they tell me this is very irksome to us, I say, I guarantee you it is nowhere near as irksome to you as it is irksome to me. <laughs> it is really, really, really irksome to me. Mm -hmm. And here I am, you know, going mass to mass, thinking at any moment we're going to get the, the black helicopters and the guys leaping down the ropes and rappelling down the ground and, 
And, uh, you know, at any given moment, I mean, the, the orders are still there, you know, and I'm, I'm still being told, we really want you to shut down. We really want you to stop having public masses, you know, <clears throat> and so it goes on. So I guarantee you, nothing that we're asking you to do compares with that, the weight of that. And I'm just doing this, as I hope you would, because the mass is so important. Because um, our Lord would want us to do this because he went through so much more than that. What we have to do, whether it be using hand sanitizer or getting our temperature taken when we're entering the church, or standing at the altar, you know, waiting for the, the shoe to drop and when we're going to get invaded by the SWAT team, that's nothing compared to what our Lord did to give us the Mass. And if we are not willing to do that, to do what we're asked to do now, then we should be absolutely ashamed of ourselves. And we should, uh, you know, <laughs> we're rejecting Christ. We're rejecting our Lord. We're rejecting His, His Mass. If we're not willing to do that much for Him, in light of what he did for us, I'm sorry that uh, this is asking very, very little. And this has nothing to do with whether there's a big bad virus out there or not. It has nothing to do with that. It's the fact that there are people out there who think there is, and they're scared, and they think we're putting them at risk, erroneously, by even meeting and having Mass together. <clears throat> and so we are trying to allay their fears, however ephemeral they may be, and however, uh, you know, faulty they may be, um, and just to make sure that, that you can come to Mass and have access to receiving our Lord in Holy Communion. Now, I don't see how anybody can care, compare that with carrying on some kind of ecumenical outreach to the modernists. Mm -hmm. Uh, if the writer is asking me to, to, to answer the question, well, do I think this virus is real? I would say, yes, I do it, it is, believe it is real. <clears throat> do I believe it is everything it's made out to be? No, I don't believe it's everything it's made out to be. Do I believe it is lethal? I believe it is, is lethal for certain people, yeah. And do I believe that these lockdown orders and stay-at-home orders and so on are right? Well, Tom, I would have to say, at this point, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, but I mean, whether I think so or not, they're in place, and we have to deal with them, uh, because they can be used to stop you from coming to Mass, and I don't want that to happen. <clears throat> and so I'm willing to go along with these things, as I say, they're not sinful. Um, you might even say humoring these things, just for the sake of the faithful being able to have access to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And um, is it hard? Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, look, on the question of the, of the this coronavirus they call COVID-19, well, actually, they call it like SARS-CoV-2, right? That's the actual pathogen. I mean, look at all the contradictions. That's the problem. Yes, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that there really is a pathogen out there. And yes, it is dangerous. More dangerous than any other flu that's ever existed? No. And more, the most dangerous pathogen in the history of the world? No. No, of course not. Do I believe that the numbers are being padded? Yes, I do. Okay. Why? Because we have so much testimony from people who are actually working with the, with the, the stricken and with the dying and even with the dead. <laughs> even, even the funeral directors in New York are talking about, uh, they're receiving all these bodies that are COVID-19 deaths. And they know they're not. They know they're not. So they've even, you know, even funeral directors in New York have used the expression, they're padding the numbers. They're padding the numbers. They want to keep this thing going. They want to make this thing <clears throat> uh, a political issue so that they can use it to control. I mean, let's face it. When you get, uh, as I mentioned last time, this paddleboarder out on the waves in California all by himself. When you get Tom Brady down, down in a park in, uh, in uh, Tampa all by himself, and they themselves, that is the, 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 the uh, distancing police, break the distancing rule by coming up, confronting them, and hauling them away and rest, arresting them. You know, not, not Tom Brady. They just warned him. The paddleboarder, yeah, he, he was cited for this. <coughs> it's not about health. It's about control. That's what it's all about, control. Politically, 
That's that's the issue here, right? That's what I think what this lady is addressing here. Mm. I mean, how are we to understand this? <clears throat> we have uh, medical leaders today telling us, well, we're going to have a second and a third wave of this illness, okay? It's going to be worse than the first. <clears throat> and then you ask, well, why are we going to have that? Well, when we all emerge from our lockdown and come out from under the hiding under the bed, the virus is going to be waiting for us and we haven't developed immunity. And so a new wave of infections will occur and a new wave of illnesses and a new wave of death will occur. You say, well, why did we not acquire, why did we not acquire uh, immunity? Well, you were all locked up in your houses and you were prevent from interacting with each other. That's the only way you can develop this herd immunity we talk about. And you say, but you ordered us to do that. So you are preventing us, preventing us from uh, acquiring this herd immunity in the name of saving us and, 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 and uh, somehow, um, what, what should I say, keeping us safe so that whenever we raise our heads, we're going to be in danger again, over and over again, ad infinitum, um, and we'll never be able to acquire the immunity. Well, we're working on a vaccine right now, they tell us. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, your vaccine is not a substitute for my immunity, or the immunity that we need. Well, you know, the immunity is not really going to help you, they say, because this vaccine, this uh, virus is mutating. Mm. They say, oh, it's mutated 32 times as of, I think, two weeks ago. And so, you know, even if you develop an immunity for, to one form of the virus, it'll, it'll mutate to the point where you're not immune to it anymore. And you say, okay, okay, let's take what you're saying is true, absolutely true, right? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Your vaccine is going to target this virus, and the virus is mutating, and your vaccine is going to be obsolete. And you're going to say, oh, we better go get another vaccine for you. And you're going to be doing this without necessary testing, safety issues, and so on. You're going to be rolling out these vaccines. Bill Gates wants 7 billion doses for every single man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. This is a man who's already said he wants 1.5 billion people to die. I think he said something like that, right? That he has to uh, cull the human race by that many people. <clears throat> and we're supposed to uh, be letting him design a vaccine, which we're all going to get injected into ourselves. And um, so, you know, you're saying this herd immunity is going to work because the virus is mutating. But then you're telling as you're coming out with this vaccine, it's mutated 32 times. Are you telling, telling me you're going to have to come up with 32 different vaccines? <laughs> what are you telling me here? You know, Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how to answer the questions that doctors would ask who know about these things. But they have to realize that when they're, saying, when they're talking about this, when they're raising these issues, they are raising these questions too. And people are asking these questions and they're not getting any good answers. And that's very troublesome. I mean, if people need confidence, they need confidence in their doctors. <clears throat> and when you appoint somebody to stand before the nation and give medical answers that are life and death medical answers, <clears throat> and the person you're putting in front of them, the people don't have enough confidence in that they would even want that person to be their family doctor or to be their own personal physician. They would never choose this person to be their, their own personal physician. You have a crisis of conscience when they see contradictions and contradictions and contradictions. And they're being told, well, you know, we might have to keep this uh, social distancing up for years and years, for decades into the future. This might become the new normal. <clears throat> well, any person, uh, any normal person, I think, would look at that askance and say, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, I'm not ready to go there with you, you know. I'm not convinced of this. What are you telling me? Who are you to tell me this? And why would you, you know, what gives you the right, the confidence to even say something like that? It undermines my confidence in that person, totally, in the reliability of that person's judgment, or, or even their motives. Why would they say such a thing? And then they always say, but don't panic. <laughs> Tom, this, this has not been handled well. It's not been handled well at all. I admire the doctors and the nurses who are trying to deal with this on the, on the floors, in the wards of our hospitals. I admire what they're trying to do. And, uh, and they're, I think, the first victims, uh, the first responders, as it were, 
But I don't think they're being um, uh, treated well by uh, those who are making public policy. And we saw that already when they didn't have the necessary PPEs, the personal protective equipment, even to deal with this. So if I were a doctor or a nurse, if I were in the medical field right now, I would be very, very, very unhappy. I would have a crisis of confidence in our political leaders right now, political leadership, as to uh, their competence and in some cases even their motives because they're persisting in this. And more and more people, I think, are getting very much concerned. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really do hail as heroes the, the medical personnel who are dealing with this, uh, not only up close and personal there in the terms of people who are ill, <clears throat> in the bed in front of them, you know, on the hospital wards, in the hospital wards they're taken care of, but they also have had in a very special way to deal up close and personal, as it were, with the politics of all this. And uh, I think they're, they're the principal victims of this uh, political uh, shark freeding frenzy that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, I, uh, if anything, I would recommend, well, please pray for our politicians, right? That a gleam of uh, a ray of light gets through. By the way, we're also told that sunlight kills virus. Ultraviolet radiation does kill a virus rapidly. But stay inside, right? <laughs> Whatever you do, don't get out into the sunlight, right? Democratic governors, Democrat governors are saying that, you know, throughout the country, trying to restrict people's motion, even their ability to get outside and do basic things. Uh, Newsom out in California, who is a very, very virulent pro-abortionist and a very great totalitarian has now issued a list of things that the people of California are allowed to do. Oh, nice. Including watch the sunrise and watch the sunset. Can he honestly not see? I mean, does he not see how absurd this is and how absurd this makes him appear in the eyes of rational, decent people? No, he doesn't see it. Why? Because he's a leftist. Because... He is a, a, a radical leftist, you know. All they see is they are the saviors of mankind. They know better than anybody else. <laughs> and they are going to be the yeah. ones who tell us where, <clears throat> where we go, when we go, and what we do when we get there. Uh, they want control. That's what it's all about in their minds, control. And they're going to push this and drive this as far as they can go <laughs> until the people say, no, we're not going there with you. Mm -hmm. And, Father, speaking of, of Newsom, I think it's interesting to contrast him with our governor here in, in Ohio, Mike, right. Mike DeWine. I, mm -hmm. I know we, we um, I, I believe you've spoken very highly of him. I know we don't obviously agree with everything that, that he's done, but I think... Uh, there are some very disturbing, distressing and disturbing things. Yeah, but just, just that, that one point about uh, Newsom issuing this list of things that, that yeah. uh, his people are allowed to do. Uh, I thought it was fascinating just, just a matter of days ago where, where Governor DeWine talked about this mask order, how he was going mm -hmm. to have everyone wear, wear masks. He was going to mandate this. But he wanted, wanted to go to any stores or, or out in public places. And For the was, personnel, the store personnel, and the customers. And the customers. Everybody had to and, and the customers. And it was only a matter of, matter of hours, I believe, before he, he kind of walked that back and said, well, that, that was too much. I went too far. Because and, there were customers who were refusing to wear the masks. And he, they simply would not comply. He's, he, I believe the, the quote was, was something like the people would not accept the government telling them what to do. And so yeah. he admitted that he had gone too far and walked that yeah. back. And I, I just found that to be totally fascinating. When was the last time you remember a politician saying that they went too far? He also said, I'm back. a conservative Republican, and I believe then liberty and the, the liberty of the people. Yeah. Okay, he, he made that statement. Yeah. And uh, it's like with our, with our church here. Um, I've been told by, well, Columbus, but also by the local health department here, yeah. You know, a public official, as a public official, I, we really, really want you, I have to tell you this, we really want you to shut down that church. <clears throat> At which point I said, well, we'll be praying for you, <laughs> which evidently he took to mean, well, no, we're not shutting down. And yeah. <laughs> But uh, I'm thinking about that for a minute. Okay, here I am. I mean, I, th I think this is a, I think this is a decent man. I really do. I think he's a decent, honest-to-goodness American gentleman. 
Governor DeWine. You know. Well, I, I'd like to think that's true of Governor DeWine. Yeah. I was talking about the local health okay. official here, okay. yes, sir. too. But I would like to think that's true of Governor. <laughs> I don't know why he. I don't know why he appoints a big pro-abortionist. Yeah. To be his health director again. I mean, I would not want her to be the personal physician of anybody I know. <laughs> She's very, very big pro-abortionist, and there's a, a lot of information behind that. Um, I don't understand how that fits into the agenda of a pro-life governor. Mm. You know, uh, but anyway. Regardless, and, and the health director here in Ohio has been largely calling the shots about this because the Ohio State Revised Code gives a very broad latitude of discretion very and very powers yes. to the health director, which is scary, really. Yes. Could be really heavily abused, hellishly abused. I think that's something we need to press to be corrected in the future, okay? When we have a political party come along that campaigns on one issue, we will not lock you in your uh, under, you know, in your homes. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I mean, but how can somebody tell you, anybody, say, we, meaning I, the local health director, really want you to shut down your church. And you should do that because I really want you to do that. Now, how is anybody... Well, I guess they did, didn't they? I mean, the Francis's pastors and bishops throughout the country, throughout the world, right? And so many of these Protestant ministers, too. On the basis of that, they shut down. They closed up their churches because the, the local health director says, I really want you to do that. Now, how, how could any priest, Catholic priest, get up before his congregation, stand before God and say, well, the local health director really wants me to shut down the church and so and lock you all out and you can't have the mass and the sacraments. And on the strength of the fact that I really don't want to hurt the feelings of the local health director and, and make him disappointed in me, I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to shut this church, lock the doors, shut you out. And uh, the local health director will, will be happy about that. And that will be the re our reward for having s stopped practicing our religion. The local health director wants us to stop practicing our faith. And so I guess we have to do it. How can anybody take that seriously? I don't even think the local health director takes it seriously. You know, he says, you have a right to continue. Well, if you have the right to continue, obviously you have the absolute obligation before God to continue. <clears throat> Even if they told you you don't have the right to continue, you still have the right to continue, right? Morally speaking. And therefore, you still have the obligation. Now, what I'm afraid of, I mean, the, the, the writer of this, uh, by the way, we left this email behind a while ago, <clears throat> but whether it's a gentleman or a lady, I don't know, but <clears throat> if... Um, I think they need to understand something, okay? I think, that, I think everybody needs to understand something. I'm not going to lock the church. I told people that. I'm not going to lock you out. Now, if the local constabulary comes by with a nail gun and nails the doors of the church shut, you know, and hauls me off to, uh, to San Quentin or something for the rest of my life, there's not much I can do about that, okay? But I am, I am not going to lock the door of that church to lock you out. <clears throat> but I can prevent this. I can't prevent you from being prevented from coming. And it could be that they'd cordon off the church, they'd set a, a police line uh, around the church <clears throat> uh, that would not be locking up the church, but would prevent any of you from getting into the church for Mass. They could do that, and there's not much I, I can do anything about that. And I'm trying to prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. So I, I've been trying to be sure that we comply as far as we possibly can, mm -hmm. and that we not do anything to provoke more restrictive and repressive mandates. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the prudent way to go. That's not the same as um, in any way of turning a blind eye to sacrilege and blasphemy, 
anywhere on the part of the modernists, though. And Father, the, these measures that, that you've implemented, this, this protocol that you've established, really, relatively speaking, it is absolutely nothing. I mean, to, to, to have your temperature taken as you walk in the door, I mean, it's... it's it happens. takes a couple of seconds. <laughs> if that. Um, I mean, to, and to besides, I mean, if we have a flu season going around, what if I had a family? I, I, I'd like to make sure that some... I'm not having my, you know, three-year-old child or yeah. maybe a newborn... Uh, sitting directly in front of somebody who's running a 103 degree fever. Yeah. Maybe parents have brought a child. They don't, maybe the child, they don't even know the child has a fever. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, 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 go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's just, I mean, the, the, the like, you think the, some people, you think would be, would be glad. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, really, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's all simple, simple things. I mean, I, I, you know, the temperature swipe, there's the, the bottles of hand sanitizer there. Again, it takes a, mm -hmm. a second to, to take a pump of that. Um, if really, if anything, I think it's more of, um, of, of a, uh, kind of a, a an inconvenience for, for mm -hmm. the priest because of, Having to say extra masses, um, you're having people spread out at the communion rail, so that's more uh, walking, going back and forth for for the priest. So really, as far as the faithful are concerned, I think these these measures are absolutely nothing um, to, to to complain about. Well, so. I, again, I, I don't want to, you know. After Holy Week, my right heel is very painful. I think from standing and reading the prophecies, singing the prophecies all the time, and now. Um, the fact that people are spread out at the community rail mm -hmm. means at least twice yeah. the walking yeah. back and forth, back and forth. And every step is, is uh, a little more difficult than it would be otherwise, you know. So it's, it's just a little bit, a little bit, a bit of penance there. So, <laughs> right. So when I told the people, look, I don't mind the extra walking at the community rail because, first of all, I, I take more steps with our Lord. I'm not complaining about that. And I'm praying the prayer for each one, and I'm spreading that out so that there, there's no rush involved, you know, in praying the prayer for each person as I'm giving them Holy Communion. But I wasn't bargaining for the hill uh, <laughs> situation, but I guess our Lord thought, well, if he really, if, if he really enjoys it that much, I, I better give him a little penance to go with it. So uh, it works. But again, I mean, I just would like them to realize that, that there are sacrifices being made for them, too. It's not just what they're asked, being asked to do. I mean, I'm very much aware of my own temperature when I go to Mass and I'm giving all the communion. I'm very much aware of that and very much concerned about it. And yes, I, I use san hand sanitizer before every Mass. Um, and I do that for, the, for their sake, you know, because I'm giving them Holy Communion. So I use hand sanitizer as a matter of course. I didn't do that before. I do it now. Do I feel obliged to? Eh, not really. Do I do it? As a matter of courtesy, and just to show, yeah, I, I'm with you, I, I know, I feel your pain. I mean, insofar as you're obliged to <clears throat> pause one step to take a little bit of hand sanitizer and like that. It's as much to protect you against uh, what somebody else has left <laughs> behind. We're, we're wiping down the pews, too, of course. But, um, yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> I think that the thing that bothers me most about it, though, is people complaining about that. And, and I, I just default to thinking about what our Lord endured to give us the Mass. And, I mean, this hardly even registers on the scale of inconvenience. <laughs> you know, this is hardly even inconvenient now. Um, some people have told me they, they really like it this way. We have more Masses. They're spread out, mm -hmm. less distractions. Okay. Uh, hasn't shortened the sermons at all. He's not mine, <laughs> of course. Um, but some people actually said that they, they actually prefer it this way. You know? uh, so what are they being asked to do that is so hard? Is it just the principle that we don't like it because we think we're being misled? Well, I would say, well, <clears throat> I have fears like that too, and I probably probably have more fears than they do about these things because I'm a bit of a student of these things, I think. Um, but my job, my job, I call it that, um, my concern, my, my <laughs> uh, overriding objective is that the Mass be here and they be able to come to it and that they be able to have access to the sacraments. 
And I personally will make whatever sacrifices I can in conscience make to make that happen, to let that happen. And I would hope that they would be also thinking the same way and not complain about that, but to be grateful to God that we still can have the Mass. In many parts of the country, people can't have, have this. And if anything, we should be thanking God we can. We have people com- coming from other states. We have people driving in from Kentucky, driving in from Illinois <clears throat> for Sunday Mass because we have it and they can't have it. Now, I think that the presence of those people at Sermon Enough, I would think, to say to them, look, everybody, you know, that, thank goodness, you know, we still can't have the Mass and the sacraments. And thank God for it. Okay. But in any case, um, so as I say, that was an intriguing question. <laughs> but I, I think the answer to that question is no, there, there is no parallel there mm-hmm. whatsoever. Okay. Father, I just, uh, I just wanted to say that it's, it's been a real blessing to, to live in, in Norwood only, uh, just right down the street practically from, from the church here, you know, manning the, uh, manning the email inbox for, for our, our show here. We, uh, I mean, not a day goes by that we don't get an email from someone in another state, even another country. A lot of times, with with no mass in their area, they they watch mm-hmm. our videos. They love everything that you say. They would give anything to to attend a mass with a society or a congregation of Saint Pius the Fifth priest. Yet they don't have any in in their area. Um, mm-hmm. Even now, with everything going on, even even uh, you know where they might have a, a traditional priest in their area, they're not able to attend because of the uh, the restrictions of their their governor or whatnot. And so it, it's been a real blessing to to be here in Norwood, so close to our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, to be able to attend the daily mass and, and receive mm-hmm. uh, sacraments. I mean, al- almost at, at will, anytime uh, they're they're always available because of of the efforts that you and Father Greenwell make. So I thank you for that, and uh, I just kind of want to. Um, Make, kind of make everyone aware of what a blessing it is to be here, to be so close to to the Blessed Sacrament, and to everyone out there who who writes in these emails, you know, lamenting the fact that that they are are so far away that they don't have a priest in their area. Well, I would say to them, come, come here, come, come to Norwood. Well, well Tom, uh, I appreciate your high regard for Norwood. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but as I recall, someone wrote to us and asked if. Uh, nor would, would be, be a good place for a hermitage. That's correct. And I dare say that we would agree that Norwood is not a good place for a hermitage. No, but that's okay because it's a good place to save your soul. Unless you, <laughs> unless you want to observe the social distancing <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and what do you call it, the, the stay-home yeah. uh, rules uh, for the rest of your life and yeah. you make it a hermitage. It could be. That's your, that's your own doing, okay? Yeah. But uh, otherwise, Norwood is not wouldn't be my first choice for, for hermitage. No, that's okay. I, I, I'm hoping eventually to have a hermitage, <laughs> uh, but it will not be Norwood. Okay. I guess. By the way, uh, if I may, I know we've gone a bit of a distance here. You know, we, psychosis again. I'm not a psychiatrist. Okay, <clears throat> but we we know that there is a pathological mental condition called well, psychosis right it's, it's it covers a lot of ground psychosis mm-hmm. but if you look up the things that can induce psychosis one of the things at the top of the list is fear and anxiety <clears throat> and i think it applies to some of the things brought up here with regard to the coronavirus and all that Fear and anxiety. And I think that there are a lot of people here in our own country, some of them politicians, some in law enforcement, some, and some not, actually, who are actually filled with so much fear, either fear of the disease or fear of the political consequences from the, of the disease, that they're almost on the verge of showing signs of psychosis. And I think uh, that this is, <clears throat> if this is not what the earthly enemy wants, okay, um, and let's face it, I mean, the, we, America has earthly enemies, the United States of America, the Catholic Church, our Catholic faith, our Lord Jesus Christ has earthly enemies. So there's nothing wrong with saying that. It's, it's a given, right? <clears throat> but the unearthly enemy, Satan, right, wants us to all become psychotic and wants 
our country to become the psychotic states of America. He wants us all to be in the psychotic state of anxiety. Well, you recall our Lord said, uh, we read this in the uh, Gospels of the, the, the last Sunday after Pentecost and the first Sunday of Advent, about men withering away for fear of what is coming upon the whole world. And um, when we see what's happening here with people afraid of the virus or thinking the virus is a big fraud and the political things that are going on in the name of the virus to save us from it, that is producing, inducing a great fear on people. And we have to be very, very careful not to allow ourselves to lapse into a psycho, like a, a, an anxiety induced psychosis, psychotic way of thinking, okay? We have to be very clear. And the only thing that's going to keep that from happening, the only thing that can prevent that is our faith. Because our faith is reality. Our faith tells us who God is, our creator, our redeemer, our father, our Lord and savior, the Holy Ghost. Our faith tells us reality, right? And in light of our knowledge of who God is, our Creator and our Redeemer, and our Sanctifier, the Holy Ghost, then we can know who we are. Then, and only then, can we really know who we are, right? And uh, what it is God wants of us now, to be faithful and have the assurance that His graces will be there. Um, and all He needs is our cooperation. So He wants us to trust Him, that He's still God, but he's still very much in control, okay, completely, right? And if this is happening now, it is happening for our instruction, shall we say, right? So anyway, I just wanted to get that little word in here <laughs> because I, when, I, when I read these stories about armed policemen riding up to 93-year-old couples on the beaches of California, Nobody's within 30 feet of them, and they have lawn chairs or chairs on the beach. And the armed policemen on horseback come in there and are ordering them to dish the chairs because they have to keep moving, because they're allowed on the beach as long as they keep moving. But as soon as they sit down, <clears throat> and chairs indicate permanence, they're violating the order. That, to me, is psychotic. <laughs> I'm sorry. It really is, you know. And uh, I'm thinking, now, these men, these policemen are not, they're not monsters, of course. You know, they're ordinary people. I mean, they're our fellow Americans. Why would they do something like that that ordinarily they might think, this is absurd to do this. Why am I doing this? Am I, uh, you know, you'd, you'd hope that they look beyond the orders that they're given by whoever and say, hey, wait a minute. This isn't right. This isn't right at all. But you see, a, a psychosis will induce a fear and an anxiety, well, an anxiety, I should say, and a fear that are being the, of threats against people can produce, make people do irrational things. And I don't want these to become the psychotic states of America. And I don't want America to be in a psychotic state. Um, so, anyway, if I were a psychiatrist, perhaps I could have said it better, or not at all. But it is a concern of mine, anyway. So, our faith is the one thing that will come to our rescue in this. And the hope that is inspired by faith, right? And the love for God that is inspired by faith and hope. I mean, this is, this is what we have. Father, thanks for This thanks is the treasure we have today. here. Certainly, Tim. God yeah. bless you there. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and finally to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.